Chapter Thirty Nine of Is He Pope and Joy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Barry O'Neill. Is He Pope and Joy by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Thirty Nine Rebellion. Lady George never forgot that slow journey home in the cab, for in truth it was very slow. It seemed to her that she would never reach her own house. "'Mary,' he said, as soon as they were seated, "'you have made me a miserable man.' The cab rumbled and growled frightfully, and he felt himself unable to attack her with dignity while they were progressing. "'But I will postpone what I have to say till we have reached home.' "'I have done nothing wrong,' said Mary, very stoutly. "'You had better say nothing more till we are at home.' After that not a word more was said, but the journey was very long. At the door of the house Lord George gave his hand to help her out of the cab, and then marched before her through the passage into the dining-room. It was evident that he was determined to make his harangue on that night. But she was the first to speak. "'George,' she said, "'I have suffered very much, and I am very tired. If you please, I will go to bed.' "'You have disgraced me,' he said." no it is you that have disgraced me and put me to shame before everybody for nothing for nothing i have done nothing of which i am ashamed she looked up into his face and he could see that she was full of passion and by no means in a mood to submit to his reproaches she too could frown and was frowning now her nostrils were dilated and her eyes were bright with anger he could see how it was with her and though he was determined to be master, he hardly knew how he was going to make good his masterdom. "'You had better listen to me,' he said. "'Not to-night. I am too ill, too thoroughly wretched. Anything you have got to say, of course I will listen to, but not now.' Then she walked to the door. "'Mary,' she paused with her hand on the lock, "'I trust that you do not wish to contest the authority which I have over you.' I do not know, I cannot say, if your authority calls upon me to own that I have done anything wrong, I shall certainly contest it, and if I have not, I think, I think you will express your sorrow for the injury you have done me to-night. Then she left the room before he had made up his mind how he would continue his address. He was quite sure that he was right. Had he not desired her not to waltz? At that moment he quite forgot the casual permission he had barely given at Lady Brabazon's, and which had been intended to apply to that night only. Had he not specially warned her against this Captain de Baron, and told her that his name and hers were suffering from her intimacy with the man? And then had she not deceived him directly by naming another person as her partner in that odious dance? The very fact that she had so deceived him was proof to him that she had known that she ought not to dance with Captain de Baron and that she had a vicious pleasure in doing so which she had been determined to gratify, even in opposition to his express orders. As he stalked up and down the room in his wrath, he forgot as much as he remembered. It had been represented to him that this odious romp had been no more than a minuet, but he did not bear in mind that his wife had been no party to that misrepresentation and he forgot, too, that he himself had been present as a spectator at her express request. 
and when his wrath was at the fullest he almost forgot those letters from adelaide houghton but he did not forget that all mrs montacute jones world had seen him as in his offended marital majesty he took his wife out from amidst the crowd declaring his indignation and his jealousy to all who were there assembled he might have been wrong there as he thought of it all he confessed to himself as much as that but the injury had been done to himself rather than to her of course they must leave london now and leave it for ever she must go with him whither he might choose to take her perhaps manor cross might serve for their lives seclusion as the marquis would not live there but manor cross was near the deanery and he must sever his wife from her father he was now very hostile to the dean who had looked on and seen his abasement and had smiled but through it all there never came to him for a moment any idea of a permanent quarrel with his wife it might he thought be long before there was permanent comfort between them obedience absolute obedience must come before that could be reached but of the bond which bound them together he was far too sensible to dream of separation nor in his heart did he think her guilty of anything but foolish headstrong indiscretion of that and latterly of dissimulation it was not that caesar had been wronged but that his wife had enabled idle tongues to suggest a wrong to caesar he did not see her again that night betaking himself at a very late hour to his own dressing-room on the next morning at an early hour he was awake thinking he must not allow her to suppose for a moment that he was afraid of her he went into her room for a few minutes before their usual breakfast hour and found her nearly dressed with her maid i shall be down directly george she said in her usual voice as he could not bid the woman to go away he descended and waited for her in the parlour when she entered the room she instantly rang the bell and contrived to keep the man in the room while she was making the tea but he would not sit down how was a man to scold his wife properly with toast and butter on a plate before him will you not have your tea she asked oh so gently put it down he said according to her custom she got up and brought it round to his place when they were alone she would kiss his forehead as she did so but now the servant was just closing the door and there was no kiss do come to your breakfast george she said i cannot eat my breakfast while all this is on my mind i must speak of it we must leave london at once in a week or two at once after last night there must be no more going to parties she lifted her cup to her lips and sat quite silent she would hear a little more before she answered him you must feel yourself that for some time to come perhaps for some years privacy will be the best for us i feel nothing of the kind george could you go and face those people after what happened last night certainly i could and i should think it my duty to do so to-night if it were possible no doubt you have made it difficult but i would do it i was forced to make it difficult there was nothing for me to do but to take you away because you were angry you were satisfied to disgrace me before all the people there what has been done cannot be helped i must bear it i cannot stop people from talking and thinking evil but i will never say that i think evil of myself by hiding myself i don't know what you mean by privacy i want no privacy 
Why did you dance with that man? Because it was so arranged. You told me it was someone else. Do you mean to accuse me of a falsehood, George? First one arrangement has been made, and then another? I had been told before how it was to be. Who told you? I can only answer for myself. And why did you waltz? Because you had withdrawn your foolish objection. Why should I not dance like other people? Papa does not think it wrong. Your father has nothing to do with it. If you ill-treat me, George, papa must have something to do with it. Do you think he will see me disgraced before a room full of people, as you did yesterday, and hold his tongue? Of course you are my husband, but he is still my father, and if I want protection he will protect me. I will protect you, said Lord George, stamping his foot upon the floor. Yes, by burying me somewhere. That is what you say you mean to do. And why? Because you get some silly nonsense into your head, and then make yourself and me ridiculous in public. If you think I am what you seem to suspect, you had better let papa have me back again, though that is so horrible that I can hardly bring myself to think of it. If you do not think so, surely you should beg my pardon for the affront you put on me last night. This was a way in which he had certainly not looked at the matter. Beg her pardon? He, as a husband, beg a wife's pardon, under any circumstances, and beg her pardon for having carried her away from a house in which she had manifestly disobeyed him? No, indeed. But then he was quite as strongly opposed to that other idea of sending her back to her father, as a man might send a wife who had disgraced herself. Anything would be better than that. If she would only acknowledge that she had been indiscreet, they would go down together into Brotherton, and all might be comfortable. Though she was angry with him, obstinate and rebellious, yet his heart was softened to her because she did not throw the woman's love-letter in his teeth. He had felt that here would be his great difficulty, but his difficulty now arose rather from the generosity which kept her silent on the subject. What I did, he said, I did to protect you. Such protection was an insult. Then she left the room before he had tasted his tea or his toast. She had heard her father's knock, and knew that she would find him in the drawing-room. She had made up her mind how she would tell the story to him, but when she was with him he would have no story told at all. He declared that he knew everything, and spoke as though there could be no doubt as to the heinousness or rather absurdity of lord george's conduct it is very sad very sad indeed he said one hardly knows what one ought to do he wants to go down to cross hall that is out of the question you must stay your time here and then come to me as you arranged he must get out of it by saying that he was frightened by thinking that you had fallen it was not that papa of course it was not, but how else is he to escape from his own folly? You do not think that I have been wrong with Captain de Baron? I? God bless you, my child. I think that you have been wrong. He cannot think so either. Has he accused you? Then she told him, as nearly as she could, all that had passed between them, including the expression of his desire that she should not waltz and his subsequent permission given at Lady Brabazon's. Psh! he ejaculated. I hate these attempted restrictions. It is like a woman telling her husband not to smoke. 
what a fool a man must be not to see that he is preparing misery for himself by laying embargoes on the recreations of his nearest companion then he spoke of what he himself would do i must see him and if he will not hear reason you must go with me to the deanery without him don't separate us papa god forbid that there should be any permanent separation if he be obstinate it may be well that you should be away from him for a week or two why can't a man wash his dirty linen at home if he has any to wash his at any rate did not come to him with you then there was a very stormy scene in the dining-room between the two men the dean whose words were infinitely more ready and available than those of his opponent said very much the most and by the fierce indignation of his disclaimers almost prevented the husband from dwelling on the wife's indiscretion i did not think it possible that such a man as you could have behaved so cruelly to such a girl i was not cruel i acted for the best you degraded yourself and her too i degraded no one said lord george it is hard to think what may now best be done to cure the wound which she has been made to suffer i must insist on this that she must not be taken from town before the day fixed for her departure i think of going to-morrow said lord george gloomily then you must go alone and i must remain with her certainly not certainly not she will not go she shall not be made to run away though everything have to be told in the public prints i will not submit to that i suppose you do not dare to tell me that you suspect her of any evil she has been very indiscreet suppose i grant that which i don't is she to be ground into dust in this way for indiscretion have not you been indiscreet lord george made no direct answer to this question fearing that the dean had heard the story of the love-letter but of that matter the dean had heard nothing in all your dealings with her can you tax yourself with no deviation from wisdom what a man does is different no conduct of mine can blemish her name but it may destroy her happiness and if you go on this way it will do so during the whole of that day the matter was discussed lord george obstinately insisted on taking his wife down to cross hall if not on the next day then on the day after but the dean and with the dean the young wife positively refused to accede to this arrangement the dean had his things brought from the inn to the house in munster court and though he did not absolutely declare that he had come there for his daughter's protection it was clear that this was intended in such an emergency lord george knew not what to do though the quarrel was already very bitter he could not quite tell his father-in-law to leave the house and then there was always present to his mind a feeling that the dean had a right to be there in accordance with the pecuniary arrangement made the dean would have been welcome to the use of the house and all that was in it if only mary would have consented to be taken at once down to cross hall but being under her father's wing she would not consent she pleaded that by going at once or running away as she called it she would own that she had done something wrong and she was earnest in declaring that nothing should wring such a confession from her everybody she said knew that she was to stay in london to the end of june everybody knew that she was then to go to the deanery 
It was not to be borne that people should say that her plans had been altered because she had danced the Kappa Kappa with Captain de Baron. She must see her friends before she went, or else her friends would know that she had been carried into banishment. In answer to this, Lord George declared that he, as husband, was paramount. This Mary did not deny, but paramount as the authority was, she would not, in this instance, be governed by it. It was a miserable day to them all. Many callers came, asking after Lady George, presuming that her speedy departure from the ball had been caused by her accident. No one was admitted, and all were told that she had not been much hurt. There were two or three stormy scenes between the dean and his son-in-law, in one of which Lord George asked the dean whether he conceived it to be compatible with his duty as a clergyman of the Church of England to induce a wife to disobey her husband. In answer to this, the dean said that in such a matter the duty of a church dignitary was the same as that of any other gentleman, and that he, as a gentleman, and also as a dignitary, meant to stand by his daughter. She refused to pack up, or to have her things packed. When he came to look into himself, he found he had not the power to bid the servants to do it in opposition to their mistress. That the power of a husband was paramount, he was well aware, but he did not exactly see his way to the exercise of it. At last he decided that he at any rate would go down to Cross Hall. If the dean chose to create a separation between his daughter and her husband, he must bear the responsibility. On the following day he did go down to Cross Hall, leaving his wife and her father in Munster Court without any definite plans. End of chapter 39